This is Amateur Logic, episode 82 for September 15th, 2015. More to come. This episode of Amateur Logic was brought to you by MFJ, the world leaders in ham radio accessories at mfjenterprises.com, and by ICOM and the 2015 D-Star QSO Party. another action-packed episode of Amateur Logic. I'm your most excellent host, George. Excellent. I'm Tommy. And I'm Peter, or what's left of me, because I've lost the rest of my body again. <laughs> we, it's probably in Huntsville. Yeah. We saw it. I know we you had it, it there. there. Yep. You probably yes, left yes. it somewhere on your whirlwind tour you were on. Yes, well, it could be anywhere around the world. Yep. Well, it's good to be back again tonight, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit later in the show about this radio that we're giving away, along with this antenna we're giving away, that power supply. Yes, that's right, it's a new MFJ Invisible power supply. It's so they're, lightweight. They're so much smaller than they used to be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, actually, we've got a nice supply to go with this, and uh, plenty of coax, and we'll be talking about that a little bit later in the show. Of course... We all met up in Huntsville uh, last month and had a big time, and we had so much footage from that, we've got some left over that we're going to look at this month. Yeah, you know, I think we probably got more footage from Dayton, or from uh, Huntsville than we actually did at Dayton this year. We came back I think with a lot right. of footage. <laughs> we did. A really lot of footage. Oh, by the way, this episode is titled The Chicken Man. Yeah. <laughs> Chicken Brothers. Chicken Brothers? No, Hermanos, is that Brothers, or is that man? I believe it's, I believe it's Brothers. Is that a chicken chain, is it, uh, Tommy? Yes. It, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That and oh. uh, Crystal Meth. Yeah. Have you, I guess you haven't seen Breaking Bad. This is a Breaking Bad episode. Ah, oh, I see. Yeah. Right. Save my call no, sign. I haven't seen it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Well, we've got a lot to cover tonight, so I think uh, maybe we ought to just get right on into it here and well we've got a few emails to to go over this time you know we right. we haven't done an amateur logic from the set here and well this will be the first time in three months right is has it been that long mm -hmm. well let's see we we had field day yeah then we had huntsville, huntsville. and now we're back so that's the yeah, third wow. one so we almost forgot how to do this yeah Just looking at the time yeah we really did <laughs> Well, what's your first email over there, Tommy? Well, I've got uh, a couple of them here. I got one from John, KK6LNR. He says, I'm in the process of setting up my Raspberry Pi 2 and my new DVAP. I set up my Raspberry Pi 2, as you indicated, in episode 57 of Amateur Logic. The problem is when I try to download the DVAP tool software, the file wouldn't download like you showed in episode 57. I have no problem downloading it on my Mac, but the Raspberry Pi 2 simply won't download the file. Is it possible to download it from a different website or upload the tool from my USB flash drive? Thank you for your help and keep up the good work at Amateur Logic. I never miss an episode. And you can, there are alternative ways to do it, John. You can do it um, by using your thumb drive. It's a little bit more complicated if you're not familiar with Linux. Um, I would suggest going back and checking the case of the string. Go to the Amateur Logic Wiki and type in that curl command verbatim and type in the case exactly like I put it because I tested it earlier and, it's, and it still does work. So I'm thinking maybe there was probably a case problem or something. But you can also uh, load up the GUI on the on the Raspberry Pi, if you have it starting up in there, or type start X and it'll load up. And then you can use the browser and go to the Amateur Logic Wiki and click the link and download the file like that. 
Hmm. So there, there's other ways to get to it. And uh, I have to apologize. He uh, he actually emailed me a while back about that. And in my traveling back and forth, I failed to answer him. So I apologize about that. We try really hard to answer all the emails, and this one is actually slipped through the cracks. So he called CQ and he just didn't answer. Yeah, I didn't answer. Weeks. I don't know. I feel like a dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, Peter, what what have you got there for an email? Let's see here. Uh, I've got an email from uh, Chip uh, K9MIT in Indiana, USA. Hi, Peter. I'm a regular viewer of ALTV and thought your participation and video segments were great. Hope you have a safe rest of the trip. I'm a 64-year-old retired guy and did a lot of travelling for General Motors and Delco Electronics in my career, so I know how tiring and exhausting that can be. Love the segment on the Morse keys. I've always been partial to CW and enjoyed seeing the the collection that was featured. It was a pleasure seeing you, Tommy and George, on video at Huntsville. Uh, take care of yourself and safe travels. Uh, thanks, Chip. It um, it was a real pleasure going to uh, to Huntsville and uh, had a number of spin-off benefits for me in, in seeing the various air and space museums in uh, both Huntsville and, and Washington. But I have to say it was great meeting up with George and Tommy and everybody else that uh, that came along to the, uh, the, the swap, the, well, the swap meet or the meet. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll, uh, we'll do that again some, at some stage in the future. Yeah, it, it was a lot of fun, and, you know, it, it was so much fun, Tommy, that uh, I seem to remember it like it was almost All right, yesterday. Tommy, I understand that there's uh, a new software-defined radio that's recently come into the U.S. Yeah, I ran into that. That's an Italian company, a super nice guy that made that thing, and uh, the software looks incredible. I had a few minutes to chat with them as well. I ran into Mark here, WB9DBD. Mark, what are you guys playing with here? It looks pretty interesting. Well, this is the uh, the Elad Duo. Uh, Elad is a company that is based out of Italy. Their uh, United States headquarters is in Chicago. Uh, Elad has come out with one of the most u- unique SDR radios. It's a completely standalone radio, one sixty to six meters sideband in CW. Starts at about three hundred milliwatts and goes all the way up to five watts. Uh, you can power it with up to about twenty volts. Uh, Unlike a lot of other SDR radios, totally self-contained. It has not one, not two, but three USB ports on it. It has a uh, receive standalone uh, SO239 on the back. Uh, one of the interesting features is on CW, it will go down to 20 hertz with no additional filtering. It's all built in and uh, no ringing. Uh, using the, uh, uh, the built-in software it will uh handle you can work on one frequency at one time if you hook it to a computer you can run two different screens simultaneously uh it will display six megahertz at one time uh currently over here we have 192 kilohertz so what is we're looking at the entire 20 meter band and uh on our second computer over here uh this is also out of uh, camera shot it's uh, running cw skimmer which is uh very popular. A lot of people use it. You can uh, put your pointer right on top of it, put the mouse right on top of it, and go exactly to that frequency. Uh, Franco, uh, IU3ADL and AC9IX, is the uh, gentleman who designed it. He's the C- CEO and our research director, uh, constantly coming up with uh, additions. Uh, right here on the side, we have a mini USB connector. This is where you update your receiver. And on the other side, you update uh, the transmitter over here. Okay. Uh, it's a uh, it's a fantastic radio. Uh, black is a primary color, uh, but it can be it is available in red and gray also. Uh, no difference in the guts, but uh, every radio I have is black. Uh, having a red radio is kind of unique. Uh, the Radio Society of Great Britain did a uh, an expose on it and one thing that they called it and I, I don't know anything about uh, what they said about it other than they called it a Ferrari uh, I don't think they would call it a Ferrari if it acted like a Yugo so suffice it to say that the uh, the, the radio is just outstanding uh, I uh, I talked to Franco for about five minutes and I said 
I got to have one. So I, I bought the red one. I, I had to have a Ferrari. Uh, they make uh, several other devices, uh, some standalone, not some standalone, but some PC-based uh, software run uh, receivers. And, uh, yeah, I'll lift this up. Here it is, if it makes it into the screen, I hope. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to let Franco talk about this. And uh, Franco's worried about his English, so uh, don't worry about it. Franco's uh, technical knowledge and expertise is far greater than uh, anybody's. If, If Franco can't answer it, then you're in trouble. But if anybody has any questions, they need to contact Barbara in the state. She's in Chicago, and uh, Barbara is the uh, the, market, the sales manager for the states. Uh, I'm just helping out here. So uh, take it away, Franco. India Uniform 3, Alpha Delta Lima. Uh, and uh, Alpha, Alpha Charlie 9, uh, India X-Ray. Well, it's nice to meet you. you got some interesting-looking stuff here. Um, what modes does this transceiver support? Uh, what? Uh, what modes? Uh, CW, sidebands, uh, FM also. Yes, you can also use it with a transverter. And, and can use it also in under-sampling uh, mode up to 160 megahertz. Okay, this is a nice-looking piece of hardware. It can be used standalone or can be used with a PC. Uh, using in standalone, you have uh, all the modes, uh, the filters uh, uh, down to 100 hertz, and uh, uh, with digital resonance, uh, is like uh, uh, 20 hertz in CW. And it is a software defined, uh, so we uh, develop and we share uh, for free the new firmware, the new software inside, uh, even for the PC. Okay, and that, that's actually what I was going to ask about next. The software that runs on the PC, um, is that custom software that you wrote for this yes, hardware? Yes, uh, it is a custom software that uh, we wrote and uh, we release every month a new release with new features. And uh, uh, the same software can be used also for FDMS2 that is a, a PC-based only receiver. Or S uh, or S uh, S one can be used as a uh, the receivers uh, can be used also as a pen adapter for uh, legacy transceivers uh, with the IF output. Okay, and the the software does that is that run on just Windows or is there a Mac a Linux version? Uh, no, is uh, run only on Windows Windows uh, platforms. Yeah. Well, that, that's pretty common. So that's not a problem. That's pretty cool. It's a very nice. How long have these been available? Uh, the transceiver is available here in the in the United States from uh, last December, and uh, uh, in Europe uh, was uh, sold uh, in July last year. Okay. Uh, where can people find uh, information about it? You got a website? Uh, we have a website that you can find in our uh, brochure, and uh, there is a. Also, all downloads, uh, there is a link to all downloads. Okay. It's nice talking to you. Thank you. It's a pretty neat little piece of hardware. The, the software is amazing. I wish it would run on, Win, on uh, Linux and um, Mac, mm-hmm. too, but it's just Windows. But that's understandable. But it's uh, pretty neat stuff. Yeah. Interesting. I had, uh, I had heard the name of this one before, but this is my first exposure to it. Well, it's always great to come to... Uh festival or uh, exhibition like this and actually see new products being uh, uh, rolled out for people to uh, you know have the opportunity to buy yeah absolutely that was interesting yeah that was a really neat software uh, sdr radio it's pretty I, cool the, the software was pretty amazing looking yeah i had not, i had seen maybe on the internet something that one mm-hmm. before i never seen one yeah i heard a bunch of people talking about it there at the ham fest so i decided to go by there and check it out cool well, we've got uh, some more emails here, so let me get into one I've got. Uh, this one comes from Jeremy Reese, N8YP. Didn't he win something from us? That's very familiar. Yeah, seems like he won something. I can't remember which contest it was, but uh, I believe he did. Anyway, he said, after uh, a few changes at work, I'm getting more free time to catch up on the show, and uh, I've watched... Uh, for the past five years but have gone back and uh, seen all the episodes 
I just find it funny that no one knew the answer to the question about Jim. Uh, he was the first member to show safety on the show. Yeah, or lack of. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, that was when we asked some contest. We asked the question, "What was Jim known for?" I think that. Yeah, I don't remember what what it was. That might have been the one he won. Yeah, I don't maybe. remember. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Anyway, he says not heat tower climbing. Uh, or hiding purchases from the XYL, but raising antennas next to a pool. <laughs> <laughs> he is uh, famous for his parts removal, but the pool incident is legendary as well. And yes, it is. It is. You know, yeah. uh, he's really enjoying the show and Ham College as well. He says that we do top-notch work, uh, and even broadening out to vocals as well. Oh wait, that was rock and roll. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, he said this past week has been so much fun catching up. So uh, apparently, there you go. Another person has survived watching multiple incidents, I mean, episodes of Amateur Logic <laughs> all at once. Yeah. Well, Peter, what's. Talk about safety hazards. Exactly. Peter, mm-hmm. what's your next email there? Yeah, my other email, uh, I think this is the one that you sent me. Um, some travel advice for your visit to Canada which uh, is actually addressed to Tommy, but I'll read it out. Tommy, since you'll be travelling to Canada soon, I thought I'd pass on this little tip, how to catch a Canadian. And there's a JPEG image, which I'm sure (laughs) uh, George will put up. And uh, I'm quite sure that would catch uh, a Canadian, uh, could even catch Mike, but um, uh, probably would catch an Australian as well if they used the right kind of beer. Um, the Canadian beer probably wouldn't work, but if you put a, a VB or a Foster's in there, you might catch an Australian. Australians actually like Foster's? Uh, well, actually, uh, funnily enough, um, somebody said to me that uh, I don't I don't drink it myself, but somebody said to me that uh, Foster's it tends to be drunk more by people overseas than by Australians themselves. We tend mm. to prefer the VB or the Melbourne Bitter or various other beers we've got around Australia. You know, I would have thought you would have baited it with Vegemite. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would get the Australians for sure. Yeah, that would mm. do it right there. Well, we'll be back in just a moment with some more of uh, this episode of Amateur Logic. But first this. At the end of each month, it's Amateur Logic's Ham College, the new show for those new to the hobby and those wanting to get into amateur radio. Which of the following is a purpose of the amateur radio service as stated in the FCC rules and regulations? That inductor and capacitor form a tuned circuit. That's how you tune the radio to the frequency that you want. The English language. We lived in town. I liked it. I, I listened to mine a lot. It was really cool because you didn't have to have a battery to power yeah. them. There's our homemade telegraph station. We can use it for long-distance communications. Oh, like, uh, what, three feet yeah, here? across the table. The answer is B. Voltage was named after Italian physicist Alessandro Volta. We can see we're generating a little bit of electricity there. It's DC. It's always great to go back and get a refresher. It sure is. A lot of that stuff, if you've been a ham for a while like we have, you you don't really think about a lot of that stuff that often. They didn't have electric screwdrivers in those days, so that's why we're not using one. That's why we went primitive with it. So let's see if we can hear anything when we we fire off our spark gap transmitter. Oh, yeah. Well, we didn't build anything or blow up anything today, but... Um. The night's still young. <laughs> you know, there's still scorches on this table from that spark gap transmitter. I think so. It's sitting right up there, too, so... Oh, great. Behave now, or don't make me pull it out. <laughs> now, um, join us for Ham College. I'm not sure when we're shooting the next episode. Probably two more weekends. Yeah, should, Something be, yeah, like should that. be two weekends. Yeah, I don't even know what the topic's going to be yet, but... I think one of those guys there probably knows. Oh, yeah, we'll have to check with them. Yeah. Well, we've got some more stuff from Huntsville. I'll tell you, we just came back with so much good footage from there. We we met up with our buddy that, uh, well, I guess we just uh, seen Joe probably in Dayton was the, the previous yeah. time that we had seen him and had a little chat with him at Huntsville to see what he'd been up to. Joe's a busy guy at these events. He was really busy at this one. I think they had him do two different forums here this year. But, yeah, I heard uh, him mention about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's been into some interesting stuff. Well, that's our old buddy, Joe Eisenberg, K0NEB. Hi, Joe. 
Well, hi, George. It's, it's great to talk to you. It's been a while since Dayton. I always enjoy talking with you. Yeah, we always have a big time when we get together at these ham fests. So tell me, how has uh, the last few months been for you? Well, pretty busy, uh, putting together lots more kits and uh, seeing lots of new ones. Uh, actually, the majority of the kits I've been building since Dayton are these Chinese kits, which are relatively inexpensive, but the instructions aren't that great. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, well, how have they been? Have they all actually worked out, or you just kind of have to make it up as you go along? Actually, uh, every one of them has worked so far, but uh, I don't know if I uh, credit that to having more experience building kits or uh, uh, the quality of the kits themselves. But the, the main thing is is that they've been a gold mine of very, very extremely low-cost and high-quality kits. Have you got anything with you today? Well, I have something here, but it didn't come from China. This comes from Nightfire Electronics. And this kit here is a uh, crystal tester. And this particular kit sells for $7. And you use it to test crystals to see if they oscillate, what frequency they're on, and the light comes on to see if it's good. Now, when you're building QRP radios that have crystal filters, that have three or four crystals, it's a great way to match them. You said it tells you what frequency on. Is it a frequency counter as well or something? No, you, you would have a receiver next to it. And you can check it that way, or you can connect a frequency counter to it. Okay. Well, that's neat. The neat thing about their kits is inside each one has one of their business cards, and it has the resistor color code on it. So that helps a first-time builder. And many of them have pretty thorough instructions. Some of them are pretty simple. This particular one, because you don't really need to do it step-by-step, we have uh, just a diagram of where the parts go. So the... I believe I, I saw this booth over there. They had a lot of different type of kits, didn't they? Yes, they do, and it's their first time outside of Florida. I saw them for the first time in Orlando in February, and I told them, well, you really ought to come to Huntsville. And they said, well, you know, it's kind of a long drive for us. And I said, it'll be worth it. And they found out that they've even sold more here than they did right there an hour drive from them in Orlando. Oh, yeah, I would think this is a real big ham fest for kit builders a lot of a lot of people into to technology and and stuff here that maybe not so much at a lot of the other ham fests yeah i found a lot more parts and plugs and jacks and stuff like that available here that i don't find at a lot of them another good company that's a source of parts and kits is andromace and they're clear on the other side of the room uh they don't have any radio kits per se but they're kits that do all sorts of different things like power supplies and so forth a lot of uh, Raspberry Pi and Arduino type of yes, stuff, too. Have a lot of uh, Raspberry Pi and uh, Arduino shields and Arduino sensors. So you can put together a neat little project. What else have you got in the bag there? Uh, this is uh, from the same company, Nightfire Electronics. Uh, this is a set of parts and a proto board. And uh, they have this uh, book that's with it. And uh, it is... LM555 timer project, so you can learn all the fancy things that that chip does. Now, you and I remember when the 555 came out in the early 70s, uh, made by Signetics, and we thought, oh, this is the miracle chip, and it still is. Here we are, 2015, over 40 years later, and we're still playing and learning what this little same chip does. And so this is a great way to uh, learn how to put things together. how to use a proto board and so forth and a neat book full of instructions and uh, wonderful little projects to make and all the projects have been tested and how much is that kit um you know i'm trying to remember i think this was around 30 or 35 dollars that's very cheap i noticed you even got a motor in there yeah and it's got the the proto board which a lot of these are usually 10 12 bucks or so so this is this is a real bargain and it's got a lot of standard parts in it and so forth. And like I always tell kit builders, it gives you the chance to look at that and say, oh, I can make that motor go faster if I change the value of this part. And indeed you can. And so you can see the consequences of changing different values and circuits. Did you bring anything else with you, or, or is that all that's we've got right all now? I've got right now with me. The rest of the stuff is packed away to uh, fly home. Okay, so you just got through doing your kit building forum here. How did that go this time? What what did y'all talk about? 
Well, I actually did two forums. I did one yesterday for the QRP group, and then I did one uh, this morning for general kit builders, both pretty full rooms, which kind of uh, surprised me and uh, made it a lot of fun because uh, you get to learn from the builders' questions as well. Um, The main questions they had was what kind of solder to use, uh, what kind of uh, soldering irons to pick, uh, soldering tips, things like that. Um, actually, uh, it was very worthwhile and get a lot of people enthused about it. I brought them all back here after the talk to show them where there were kits and parts and soldering irons available. And the, the uh, vendors were very happy with me as well. So what have you been doing in your columns recently? Is there any one uh, kit that particularly stands out for you? Yeah, there's actually two of them. One is the transistor tester that I briefly covered at Dayton. And the other one is the uh, color oscilloscope. The color oscilloscope kit uh, was $23 back in May. Now it's $20, but if you pay $23, you can get it with all the surface mount parts completely installed for you. So all you have to do is the through-hole parts. And that makes it a lot easier, especially for first-time builders. Uh, The other is the transistor tester, which also sometimes online is shown as an ESR meter. And what it does is you can put any component onto the three leads. You can hook it any way you want, and it tells you what the part is, what its value is, and which wires are connected to it, and which wires are connected to which lead of the part. Uh, for 12 bucks, a kit like that is an absolute miracle and worthwhile for kit builders. I mean, if you're going to spend $10 on a voltmeter or inexpensive meter or something, uh, why not spend $12 and learn kit building and build that kit and it will test all your parts so that if the numbers are rubbed off the capacitors or something or you think a part may be bad, you can test it and it tells you what it is and which wires you're on. That That is neat. And microcontrollers, I mean, what can you say? That's what's making all this type of thing possible, isn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, in fact, the heart of that is an AT, AT whatever, AT tiny um, which is basically what the Arduino is based on. And they have a newer version of the kit out now that costs about 5 bucks more. It's because it has a better display instead of the two-line LCD. It has a, uh, a monochrome graphic display, like 320 by 240. And it puts a schematic symbol up of what that part's schematic symbol is. And it tells you, you know, what kind of component it is. And, and once again, but it has the nomenclature of the leads like drain gate source, emitter base collector, cathode anode and stuff right there on the screen for you. And you can't beat that for, you know, under $20. No, you really can't. We would have paid a lot of money for something like that 20 years ago if we could have even got it. I don't think it was even available back then, a component identifier like that. And it's great. Like I said, a lot of kits, those parts have been jumbling around that bag and you don't know if it's a... uh, 100 picofarad capacitor or a 30 or something because it got rubbed off and you can actually um, see what the part actually is and what it does. Yeah, cool. Well, Joe, I appreciate you talking with us. It's always great to get together at these events and, and catch up a little bit on the hobby. It's always good to talk with you. I always enjoy AmateurLogic.tv. I hope my voice isn't too rough today. Kind of got a, a rough throat today. I was I was afraid that by the end of the interview, we'd have to finish up on CW. <laughs> no, we got through it. All right, Joe. 7-3, you have a safe trip back. You bet. Thank you very much. Yeah, I get to meet Joe as well, and he's a really friendly chap. He is. He really is. He's over from... Uh, Nebraska is a little ways from here, mm-hmm. right in the center of the United States, but he fits right in. Mm, absolutely, know? absolutely. And uh, he's a great guy to run into if you come to these ham fits uh, quite yeah. often. Yeah, yeah. he's a Midwest guy. A bunch of super nice people up there. I work with some of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, I think he's from around the same area that Johnny Carson came from. Hmm. Uh, yeah, Johnny Carson, I think, was from Norfolk, and uh, Joe lives a little bit farther south, but basic oh, area. Okay. Then then strike that. I was incorrect on that. It's never happened before. But it sounded, it sounded good. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it was good to see Joe. You know, he 
He's talking about those little component testers. We got some of those that uh, somebody mm-hmm. gave us a while back. Yeah, and yeah. One of the viewers sent them. That's yeah. a really handy thing to have. I think Peter's the one who kind of introduced us to those. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I heard about one and bought one, and uh, I think if you go back a few episodes, you'll see uh, uh, a bit of a me a show and tell about it. So it's a uh, it's it's a worthwhile device to have. Yeah, I've got a four um, CX. Uh, 15,000 tube that I want to hook it to and see if it'll work. <laughs> I don't think it's yeah, turning on. Be sure you roll some uh, tape when you do that. I will, yep. Well, we'll be back in just a moment because we've still got more to go. We've got a few more emails. We've got another interview from Huntsville. Hey, we've got some stuff that uh, we're going to talk about giving away and some stuff we're actually going to give away this time around. All right. For years, MFJ has been supplying hams with a variety of clocks designed specifically for the unique needs of the amateur radio community. Now they're proud to introduce the MFJ-148RC dual-time atomic LCD clock with UTC time zone, ID timer, automatic setting, and more. The MFJ-148RC is a radio-controlled 12, 24-hour dual clock. It's a specially designed clock for amateur radio with two independent atomic 24, 12-hour clocks with exclusive UTC time zone and a dedicated station 10-minute ID timer. Since it uses a single time base, both clocks remain perfectly synchronized, and it's radio control, so it keeps perfect time. Each clock can be independently set for 12- or 24-hour display, independent time zones, and daylight savings time on or off. You can set one clock on 12-hour format for local time and the other clock on 24-hour format for UTC. Turn daylight savings time off the UTC clock, and you never have to worry about time changes messing up the UTC clock again. And never forget to ID. The built-in 10-minute station ID timer has an LED and buzzer to alert you when it's time to ID. The timer resets by a single press of a button. The huge 5-inch wide by 1.5-inch high LCD display with LED backlights makes it easy to see the time. The MFJ-148RC has a flip stand for desk display or a mounting hole for wall mount. It uses two AA batteries for long, stable operation. If you need a clock for your ham shack, then you'll want to take a look at the new MFJ-148RC. At only $59.95 list price, it's a great bargain for a radio-controlled, automatic-setting, dual 24-12 hour clock with all the features you'll want. Visit MFJEnterprises.com today and check out the world's most complete collection of ham radio accessories. Well, there you go. And uh, mm. Can I uh, just interrupt here and yeah. actually show you, uh, I was kindly oh, yeah. given one of these by uh, uh, MFJ uh, to take home, and uh, I'm actually using it at the moment. If you check over here on the right-hand side, I've got it set to the local time, which is 12.29 uh, in the afternoon. And, uh, of course, I've got it set to uh, Central Standard Time, 9.30. So it's very handy when I'm uh, uh, preparing for, uh, for, for amateur logic. The other thing, actually, with it is, um, uh, and this is what I, oh, oops, I found quite interesting, was the, uh, uh, this will actually automatically set itself according to, I think it's WWVH right. or WWVB. Um, I'm probably a little far away for to do that. But uh, I want to try. I actually want to get a, see if I can get a uh, an antenna, like a wire antenna, and actually wrap it round the uh, uh, the device and actually see whether it'll actually sync. Uh, because I, from time to time, you do receive, for example, WWVH uh, here in uh, yeah. Melbourne quite well. It's it's not WWVH. It's it's one here in the U.S. And I remember reading something about that that. At one point, they wanted to put a second relay station over on the East Coast because some people mm-hmm. up there were having trouble receiving the automatic time signal. I get it here good. It's down. I can't remember the frequency. It's, I want to say it's maybe 65 kilohertz. It's way down there. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I, I may be long? wrong on that, but it's somewhere around there. I tuned it in on my HF radio the other day just to see if I could actually hear it. And, yeah, it's it's some kind of buzzing racket, but it's huh. a repeatable uh, data pattern you hear on there. Interesting. So, yeah. Oh. Well, with the frequency that low, uh, gee, that's the, I think that's the frequencies that submarines use for memory. At, uh, so I don't know whether the propagation will get 
get over to uh, to Australia from there on yeah, those frequencies. That might be pushing it, but apparently it covers most of the U.S. So. Uh, someone mm. in the chat room, Charles, says it's sixty kilohertz. Sixty kilohertz. That that's yeah. yeah. That's probably it. Yeah. 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 Wow, mm-hmm. That is down there. It is down there. Well, Tommy, what have you got for your well, next email? I've got there? one more here. Well, I've got an email here from Paul, and I don't see a call sign from Paul here. So, okay. Anyway, he says, uh, I just found your YouTube site. I guess I've been hiding under a rock, and the program is wonderful. I'm trying to watch as many as I can when at the library. We don't have high-speed stuff out in the country. I have some questions, if you don't mind, and, and we certainly don't mind. What are some good, reasonably, reasonably priced SWR <laughs> antenna meters slash analyzers? Yeah, we have a plethora of them here. We we have a couple. Let me let me go ahead and finish the the yeah. uh, email, and then we'll cover those. And what type of field day generators do you recommend? Inverter or non-inverter type? If non-inverter type, do you use any type of filtering to clean up the waveform on the output side of the generator? There are no Elmers around me, so you guys are it. It's on my bucket list to one day meet the two or three of you. Thanks for the great work you do behind and in front of the camera. Why don't we talk about those generators first? Yeah, let's do. So for field day, I've got a... I bought it from a Pet Boys. It's a Wind Power. It's their brand, and it's kind of a generic brand, really. I think everybody slaps their own uh, sticker on it, because Wayne's is the same generator, and his has got a different brand. It's just a different color, and it's got wheels on it. And that one I bought at Kroger was exactly like it. Yeah. So mine kind of blew up. Yeah, so actually, I think it may be a uh, Chinese-made, fairly inexpensive generator, but it was, mine's a 3,500 watts, and it's been more than sufficient yeah, for my it, it's not an inverter generator no, it's, yeah it's not it's a mechanical generator just like my coleman is just a you know a regular electromechanical generator mm-hmm. what an inverter type is and you know i probably shouldn't say because i really haven't looked into this but i believe an inverter type is um do you know what it is I'm assuming it outputs DC and there's like an inverter circuit like you use on your car to get AC from it. No, well, I don't yeah, really the, know for sure. I think that maybe the generator itself mm-hmm. would output DC into a, an inverter circuit. That's that what I just said. Up to 110. Mm. Yeah. Uh, George, didn't <laughs> that's sort of like what you said. Isn't it? Uh, George, didn't you? Um, I, I seem to recall your lawnmower generator that you had. You put together for emergencies. Yes, that was a non-inverter as well. Yeah. One of the interesting things I recall from that segment was that uh, the waveform wasn't very clean uh, from the inverter. So uh, uh, one should probably be a bit bit careful about um, when buying inverter because you may end up with uh, something that may not work with uh, all the devices that you actually want to use. I think you probably got um, a couple of different episodes kind of mixed together there when i did the lawnmower bit that was uh that was a field day episode and i just you know took the 12 volts dc across the battery of the lawnmower which was being charged by its generator and ran the rig off of that the inverter uh that footage was actually episode one yeah of amateur logic which would be 10 years ago, next month. Next month, and it's probably mm-hmm. fairly painful to watch. As a matter of fact, it was probably it was probably shot sometime right around now, 10 years ago, because it was yeah. right after Hurricane Katrina. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, yeah, that, that was the inverter in there, and, uh, you know, it, it looked pretty nasty. I, I have got another one since then that looks super clean. Yeah, there's actually some good information in that old episode. Uh, it is. Remember the? Uh, I believe they had some caps in there, some maybe, MOVs. and uh, yeah. needed to clip them because mm-hmm. they would block the. Uh, some of the equipment wouldn't work with it. Yeah, the uh, the, the inverter was so noisy that the, the MOVs it was uh, just tripping. Hmm. You know, it wouldn't yeah. wouldn't work. So <laughs> anyhow, tripping. Yeah. That's a good good uh, analogy for the Breaking Bad episode. Well, it is. Here. Uh, the other half of that question there, what was this? Yeah, um, what are some good, reasonably priced SWR antenna 
uh, meter slash analyzers. And we just so happen to have quite a few. Yeah, this was the one you were going to talk about, I think, first. If you mo oh, there you go. Yeah, that's the uh, MFJ259C. With the see-through display. <laughs> <laughs> you like that? <laughs> uh, that's uh, kind of different. That is kind of different, isn't it? Here, I'll hold it in that. But uh, that's a What's good... What's amazing is it sees through your head as well when you hold it in front. <laughs> it <Yes>. does. <laughs> oh, that's the one with the x-ray lens. Yes. Uh well, so anyway, technology. That's a that's a good workhorse uh, SWR or, or antenna analyzer. I believe that's the one that covers UHF also. Isn't no, the, it? that's the, not the one. The two fifty. Peter hit that ten minute ID timer a while ago, so we'll be here the rest of the night. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think if you hold it, if you hold it down, Peter, I think it'll shut it off. Right. So what uh, bands does well, that one cover, George? This one covers from it looks like. Uh, from 11 megahertz up to 230 megahertz. Okay, that's that's pretty good range. MFG, but, but no UHF on that one. Yeah. But they do have one that does cover UHF. Uh, MFJ259C. This is the most popular antenna analyzer in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was asking for a good one. This is a good one. However, MFJ is kind of known for uh, analyzers. As a matter of fact, we have enough to go around here. Yeah. Here's another one. That's this is the MFJ223. This is, let me see if it batteries up on this thing. Yeah, this one's got a little color graphic display on it. It's a neat little analyzer. It goes from uh, 0.5 to, what is it, 60? I think it's 60 megahertz. And then you've yeah, got another one cool. over yeah, there. Yeah, this is the uh, MFJ266C. And it covers uh, from 1.5 megahertz up through 490. So that and the will so this do is UHF. the UHF one. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, this is nice. And then this is my favorite right here. This is the MFJ 225. This is the one that we used at field day and just about every other time that we've shown the analyzer yeah. in the last few Yeah, years. that's my favorite too. That's, yeah, that's really nice. It's got a graphic display on it uh, so you can see a good portion of the band at once. Now, you know, it goes uh, 1 to 180 megahertz, so it's not going to cover UHF. That's the only downfall, the, the the only strike against this one that I know of. Right. You know. So this this is my favorite one, Tommy. But, yeah. you know, any of these are, are good. This one is probably the most popular. And yeah. there are other companies that make antenna analyzers as well. Yeah, that was a great question. So uh, you got more than your money's worth on that one. Yep. <laughs> four times and let's see i have one more email here is it my turn to read an email it, it, it probably is yes it yeah, is i think it is uh, this one comes from uh, ron w5mpy and ron says in 1982 i was in the air force and stationed in frankfurt germany my trs-80 uh, Model 1 blew a memory chip, so I went to Radio Shack in downtown Frankfurt to see if I could get a new chip. In my best broken German, I tried to explain to the manager what I wanted, and he smiled and in perfect English said, I'm from San Jose, California. <laughs> so uh, just tell me what it is you want. And he says he did get the TSR, excuse me, TRS-80 fixed. It was a lot of fun uh, trying to insert memory chips when you don't have the proper tools. And he says he became friends with that manager and um, had dinner at his home on several occasions. Oh, cool. Yeah. Mm. Neat story. Did you, did you guys own, um, what, what computers did you guys own from that period? Uh, I, I sort of, I think, uh, I had a British-made one, but the, it was an obscure British one. Uh, that I owned around that period. Uh, and later on, I moved on to the IBMs and uh, progressed along from there. I actually was working for a uh, Radio Shack dealer store. Uh, Jimmy and I were oh. uh, when the TRS-80 came out. And oh. we actually got to play with one. And uh, we set it up back in the shop and wrote insulting programs in BASIC, you know, where you would you'd ask somebody <laughs> their name and then you'd feed them back an insult oh and uh and i saw then this is this is pretty doggone neat 
I better stay away from this because I could see wasting a whole lot of time on it. And besides that, I could never afford a thousand dollars. Yeah, it's turned into years, yeah. hasn't it? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, but my first one was a Commodore sixty-four. Yeah, mine was a uh, Dandy Color Computer two. Yeah. And we both had the just... little pocket computers, didn't we? The little yeah. Tandys. Uh huh. PC four. Well, we've got a little more footage from Huntsville left, so let's let's take a look at that, and then we're going to come back and let's let's give away some. Okay. Tommy, look who I found. The two guys that rode over here with us. Yep, come on. Come on over, over here, two guys who rode over here with us. <laughs> it's the brothers Eubank. <laughs> Do I have to squat? Yeah, you'll have to squat, but just be careful what you do when you squat. Yeah. 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 Hi, Wayne. What did you buy? Uh, some batteries, few uh, connectors, uh, power cords. Nothing major. You didn't buy that QRP rig you were looking at. Uh, I went back and talked to him, but um, he wouldn't even consider negotiating a lower price. So I'm like, fine. I'm. I'll see you later. You obviously don't want to sell that bad. Okay. How about you, Vince? I ended up getting a couple of batteries and some coax and a radio. Radio, you did end up getting one. And you guys pretty much cleaned out the battery vendor over there, I think. Yeah, I did. I ended up buying two. So what kind of radio did you get? Uh, Yesu 450D. Okay, cool. And we, Peter messed out Friday night. We went to what has become a, a tradition here among us since we don't have one at home. Where, where do we eat, Wayne? Red Robin. Yum. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Although we did have something last night that I don't know if you enjoyed it or not, Peter. What the ribs? The ribs. Oh yes. Look, uh, Ray Novak. So yeah, Novak uh, took us out for um, uh, for dinner at uh, a rib joint, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was good. Uh, actually, quite uh, quite delicious. And, spe- and thanks for Ray for shouting uh, for that. It was and not, uh, not just, that very much. Not just a rib joint. It's the rib joint. The the Dreamland. Mm-hmm. Oh right. So, good stuff. Speaking of friends that we see at Hamfast a lot, you talked to a, a guy that makes antennas over here. Yeah, Emmett. He did. He did not have the kilt on this time. You usually see Emmett running around the Hamfest with his but, kilt on. But unfortunately, we did see Don Wilbanks last night with the kilt on. Fortunately, there is no footage or pictures of that that we're aware of. <laughs> yeah, we'd have to destroy it. Yep. Indeed. Well, I ran into our friend Emmett here. What's your call sign, Emmett? I should w- know. Zero, whiskey Zero, Quebec Hotel, W0QH. And I normally do have a sign, but guess what? I misplaced it in the vehicle. It's one of those magnetic stick-on thingies. So. Oh, yeah. oh, well, we'll let you slide on that yeah, one. I know, I know. Man, you got an interesting-looking contraption up here. I've been seeing it. Every time I come by, I keep expecting to see socks or something Someone hanging from something it. Well, we talked about putting a, an uncontrolled rotor on there. We're going to put uh, clothes up there, and we're going to create the new spin, sal- new spin cycle for a uh, clothesline dryer with a spin cycle on it. So, yeah. cool. Is that a new product? Yes, it is. It's the Radio Waves Hex Beam. We call it the Sentinel Align. Uh, it handles 20 meters to 6 meters. We also have a 40-meter version of this, which is basically twice the size. Which will also go to twenty or forty meters through ten meters. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually pretty compact for the for the bands that it covers, and it looks fairly light. It is the whole, the antenna itself weighs a whole nineteen pounds. It is a uh, resonant dipole on each band with a reflector, and the reason why you're able to go from uh, have such a small footprint is the 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 dipole itself is configured into a W, uh, which literally compresses it down to about 30% of what it would normally be. So let's say a dipole, at, at uh, a 20-meter dipole Yagi would be 33 feet by 16 or 17 feet, okay, whereas this antenna has a whole turning radius of 10 feet. It's pretty interesting. It's nice for compact places. Uh, people like myself that live in the city, you know, not that big of a lot. We have some people who have uh, who've used these. They're using regular TV rotors, and they use uh, one of those TV mounts, a heavy-duty TV mount, they just put it on the roof, and then there it is. Don't even have to mess with the tower. Yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting. I might keep that in mind later. Anytime you need one, we can take care of you with that. Uh, anything else new? Well, basically, that's the big one. Um, the other thing we've done is we've 
on top of coming up with the 40 meter hex beam and the uh, 20 through 6, we also add, we have what's called a, a broadband adapter that we put on it. And what that is, is a terminated loop antenna that, uh, here, let me get a diagram here, just so happen to have one. Where what we've done is we've created a, uh, like a pennant configuration where the antenna itself is still a loop. It's a terminated loop, but it's in the shape of a pennant. So it's like a rotatable dipole for 80 meters and 40 meters on uh, 80, 40, 60, 80, 60, 40, and 30 meters on this antenna. And then on the 40 meter antenna, it will do 160 and up. Okay. Well, interesting. Is, is really kind of nice. Yeah. Uh, one other question. Uh, no yes. kilt today? Usually no when kilt. I see you wearing a kilt. No, I had to get on stage yesterday, so I figured it would attract way too much attention with my kilt. Yeah, we, we all appreciate that. Yeah, 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 you, know, you know how it goes. Yeah. Well, I appreciate yeah. you taking time right, to talk Tommy, to me. Thanks. Good seeing you again. Yeah, yeah it's good uh, to see look you. Look forward to seeing you down the log. All right. Bye, thanks. buddy. Mark your calendars. You're invited to the biggest D-Star QSO party. Talk to the world by connecting through D-Star repeaters around the globe. D-Star QSO Party 2015 is this month from September 18th through 20th. D-Star continues to help amateur radio grow. It's an exciting technology that introduces new people to the hobby. It's high-speed communication and digital voice that's crystal clear. And the D-Star QSO Party is a great way to develop camaraderies with amateurs all over the world. Communicate through as many D-Star repeaters as possible throughout the world. Make contacts with D-Star stations and amateurs. Work as many foreign countries as possible to increase your chance to win. And get bonus points for including GPS position data and communications distance in your log. Ten qualified participants will be randomly selected to win an ASUS MemboPad 7. For complete party details and instructions on how to submit your log, visit ICOM America's Amateur Landing page. Then join the D-Star QSO 2015 party September 18th through 20th. Good luck, and make sure you visit icomamerica.com amateur for more information on the 2015 D-Star QSO party. That's yeah. right. In honor of Breaking Bad night, we're going to give away a Breaking Bad kit. With yep. the lab coat and everything, except this lab coat's got Amateur Logic, yep. Invention two, 2015, and uh, ICOM. Mm -hmm. And you don't get to use the respirator. You don't? Uh, yeah. Well, I think we I'm going to take mine off. It's hot. Yeah. We don't have that or any beakers. Or, you know, no beakers. <laughs> any of that. Anyway. So, so if, you, if you ever watched Breaking Bad, you probably get that. If you haven't, then... Uh, yeah. Move right along. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, these are the uh, the lab coats that Peter's blocking the lab coat. Yep. Here we'll just get rid of him. There you go. So these are the lab coats we've been giving away the last several months, and uh, the ones from uh, Hamvention this year. So. And actually, we announced that we would be giving away one back on the uh, the field day episode, and we're just now giving that one away because we were in hospital last uh, month, but. We did a drawing a little earlier out of uh, all the people who had emailed in and said they wanted to win it. And our winner was uh, Pierre KD2EPQ. And we had asked the question, what antenna did Tommy use during field day? And he yep. said, hi, guys. Tommy was using a bigger antenna. If you had one left, I'd like one in large or XL. And Pierre, we just happened to have... A large here, so we're going to be sending that out to you. Congratulations. Yep. And, uh, you know, we've got another one. i tell you what, we'll give away another one as part of our 10th anniversary grand prize. Amateurlogic.tv slash contest. Go there, and you'll get all the details, like what the prizes are going to be and uh, what you have to do to be qualified and how you can enter. What we're going to be giving away is this great icon IC7410, the base radio here. Uh, let, let's just talk a minute about that. It's It's got some great features to it. You know, this is one I have recommended uh, to a lot of different people, is this particular Yeah, it's awesome. I, I had one of these at the house one time uh, playing around with it. It's really yeah. nice. The audio on it is fantastic. Yeah, it's an HF and 50 megahertz transceiver. It's uh, It's got a fast DSP unit in it. You know, ICOM has their own in-house uh, DSP engineers that, mm. that do all their DSP work. And that's one thing I'll say. If you listen to this radio, 
you know, let's just face it. When it comes to uh, uh, HF rigs, it's all in the receiver. I mean, mm-hmm. 100 watts is 100 watts. Yeah. You know, no matter what you're running. Some may sound a little bit better than others, but 100 watts is still 100 watts. The receiver is what really makes a difference in an HF radio. This one right here sounds so much like uh, the more expensive ICOM radios of flagships, the 7700s, the 7800s, mm-hmm. uh, 7850s, uh, 7600s. It, it, it's got practically the, the same sound signature to it because uh, the DSPs came from the same engineers. Mm-hmm. Uh, also... It's got double conversion super heterodyne. It's got a large multifunction LCD with uh, shows the channel name, band scope, memory keyer contents, function key assignments, RIDI decoder screen, and a graphical SWR scale. Yeah. And what you can't see here on the front, but Tommy and I can see right here in the back, there's a USB connector on yeah. here. That is great because that's going to allow you to do a lot of things with this radio that... Um, that you're really going to want if you're into computers. Plug this into your PC, then you can run uh, the RSBA1 software, remotely control this from anywhere on the Internet. Yeah, we uh, actually did a segment on that a while back, and uh, that's did. a pretty amazing piece of software. That's that's actually uh, you know, a, a good reason just to buy the radio in itself to have that feature if you're interested yeah. in operating remotely. So that USB port on here will not only do remote control, it also does audio in and out on the rig, so you don't have to have an external sound device. Yeah, uh, you just plug it in and install the drivers on your computer, mm-hmm. uh, your Windows computer. It's also got a built-in RIDI uh, demodulator and decoder, so you can copy RIDI right there on the display on the front. Large heat sink. Uh, when compared to the IC746 Pro series, it says the large heat sink improves heat dissipation. Yep. Even during long hours of heavy-duty operations. Yeah, it's got a simple band scope on it. It's also got a wide range of DSP functions, uh, digital IF filters that allow you to choose your filter width and the shape of the filters as far as how steep the skirts are on it. Uh, AGC loop management, uh, digital noise reduction, digital noise blanker, RS speech compression, uh, a lot of user-programmable uh, tone controls, microphone equalizers, single sideband transmit, uh, passband, t- just too many DSP features for us to mention here. A lot of CW functions as mm-hmm. well. High frequency stability. It kind of hits a sweet spot. Uh, if I was looking to buy a, an UHF radio right now, this would be one I would certainly consider it's, yeah absolutely it's a little more than some but i know the quality of the receiver in it and and you'd be very happy with it and somebody's going to win this uh as we told you in the contest but we've got some other stuff that you got to have to go with the radio oh yeah you, you can't have a radio without an antenna well we've got an antenna right here uh why don't you tell us a little bit about this antenna tommy okay I think you've got a i think i will i just got a lot of paper over here yeah I don't think that's the right one. No, we got a lot. There, of, I told yep. you I had a lot of paper. Yep. This is a MFJ 2010 off-center fed dipole. It uh, works on 20 or 40, 20, 10, and six meters. Works up to 300 watts sideband and CW. Perfect for low-profile, portable, and QRP. It weighs less than two pounds. Delivers up to 6 dB of gain on 40 meters, 9 dB on 20 meters, and uh, 11.5 on 10 and 6 meters. And this is the same antenna that I used at Field Day this year. Right. Now, this is actually the antenna. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. Field Day. We're giving them a new one, though. Yeah, they're getting a new one still in the pack. Yeah. But uh, it, it worked well for us on Field Day. Yeah. Anyway, it's a high-efficiency, full-size radiator, um, matchmaker feed block, 98% efficient. It's a good antenna. Mm -hmm. You know, um, comparatively speaking, uh, a simple off-center fed dipole like this, while it's not a real expensive antenna, it'll outperform a lot of uh, very expensive verticals. Mm -hmm. Uh, I use an off-center fed Mm -hmm. at the house. 
Well, so, that's what I use for uh, 40 meters and above. Mm -hmm. I'd like to have a nice beam or, or something like that, but hey, this gets the job done and covers a lot of bands for me. Well, they're also going to need a power supply with this, so we've got the MFJ4245MV adjustable voltage switching power supply. It's uh, one of their Monty lights. It features a front panel voltage control. It lets you vary the output voltage from 9 to 15 volts. And it gives you a highly regulated voltage output that includes 12 volts DC and 13.8 volts DC. You get easy front panel access with five-way binding posts for heavy-duty use and a cigarette lighter socket for mobile accessories. And the MFJ4245MV switching power supply has two sets of quit connects on the rear for accessories. It's got a large three-inch dual meters that are brightly illuminated to make it easy to monitor the load voltage and current. A whisper quiet internal fan keeps it cool for long life. This power supply, Tommy, will do 45 amps surge or 40 watts continuous at 13.8 volts. It's lightweight, only uh, seven and a quarter pounds. Over voltage protection, over current protection, and automatic shutdown on a faulty load. Yeah, except for 40 watts is 40 amps, right? 40 amps. Yeah. yeah did I say 40 watts? You did. That wouldn't be much. Yeah, that's 40 be much. amps. It's a. Uh, it, it's actually more power supply than you need to yeah no, that's that's more than watt. sufficient yeah. and we got one other thing you're going to need to go with that and that is a hundred foot of coax courtesy of mfj i believe that will come with the pl259 connectors so we're not going to have to pull out these bad boys right here yeah our gold-plated mother pretty hard to get those away from us yeah yeah we've been saving those up for something special for what two three Couple, years now yeah at least two or three We'll do something with them eventually. Amateurlogic.tv slash contest. Get all the details and go in right away because we're giving away this next month. Yeah, next month. Next month. For the 10th, for the anniversary, 10th anniversary Boy, we don't even know what we're going to do for the 10th anniversary yet. We're going to have to come up with a plan. Yeah, it should be something special. That's, that's a big deal, man. 10 years. Yeah. I think that's longer than most any podcast or, or a video podcast production on the internet that I'm aware of. They're one of the longest, yeah. Who, who do you know that's longer? Uh, Darren might have started about the same time we did. Uh, yeah, actually, he, yeah, Act five, he did. I think we started around the mm -hmm. same time. So. That's true. Um, but, no, there are very few of them that are still around that, that did start then. Certainly, we're the only ones that do an amateur radio for that long. So um, It's been a lot of fun, and we're going to have to pull out all the stops for next month. Yeah, who knows? Maybe we'll make it to 11 years. Maybe so. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Peter, any final words before we go? I know you're back home now. You're probably still recuperating. Yes, uh, lag, still a bit of jet lag. I haven't slept for two nights, so uh, really feeling it. But, uh, yeah, look, I just want to say uh, thanks to everybody that uh, came up to me and uh, um, said hello at, uh, at Huntsville. And uh, thanks also to George, Tommy, and Jimmy uh, for uh, getting me involved in, uh, in Amateur Logic and give me uh, an excuse to come over to the U.S. and, uh, and meet everybody. So that, that was really great. Yeah. Yeah, it was a pleasure to meet you, finally. Finally. Yeah. yeah. We, we've met you. Well, I don't know. We've Just already this much it. of it. Yeah, this much. <laughs> <that> much. <laughs> thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you guys next month. For yeah. the 10th anniversary extravaganza. Yep. We'll be back for that. And we, we are going to have a net this coming Monday night. It's going to be September the 21st at 8.30 p.m. Central Time. And I haven't done the math on that. What is that? Like 1.30 now? Peter has the clock there, but it's... We'll put, watch for the the uh, notices but it'll be on the it's the echo link net like we have every month and it'll be on the do drop in conference server star do drop in star and that is node three five five eight hundred yep i will remember that node for the rest of my life yeah that is a very memorable note after you said it oh i don't know yeah it's a great times. it's a great place yeah. to be man it's a lot of good stuff over yeah. there it's always something going on there also don't forget about um well why don't I throw it up here so I can remember what we don't want to forget? Our social networks. 
uh, the Amateur Logic Facebook group, uh, the uh, Google Plus Google. group. And, and on, we're on Twitter as well. At mm -hmm. Amateur Logic. And one other thing we don't want to forget, and that's our uh, wiki, where you can get all the show notes for each episode of Amateur Logic. Our friend Dan and 9LVS does that for us. AmateurLogic.tv slash wiki. Yeah, thanks to Dan for that. He does a great job. It's much yeah. appreciated. It is. All right, 7-3, everyone. Join us again next month to celebrate our 10th anniversary. Yeah, we'll see you then. 73. 73. He's looking forward to it. If all goes well, when I push this button right here, we don't smell any smoke. We don't smell any smoke, and the show begins. Guess what? Wrong button. <laughs> <laughs> Looper. From a power source for a rig, I was just—it was just a 12 volt rig, so I was just running it off the, the 12 volts there. Speaking of 12 volts there, I think my battery just ran down. But it, just before I actually got my computer, uh, I actually learned uh, on an Apple II at, uh, at school. And it was fun, funny because uh, we had Space Invaders on the, uh, uh, on the, on the computer and uh, everybody used to rush down there at lunchtime to, uh, to play on the computer. So, uh, yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah. That was pretty advanced. That was, yeah. uh, it, when it I was. got mine, there was no such thing as Space Invaders. Yeah. You had yeah. a Lincoln prompt. That was pretty much it. And then finally, we got asteroids, but we were able to kind of clean it up. The <laughs> no, no, Don't set right. me up like that. <laughs> Don't set me up like that. <laughs> okay. Peter, we're really glad to have you visit the Huntsville Ham Fest. Well, George, before you start, can I just ask, uh, are you, what role do you play? Or I'm a loyal viewer. Oh, I, I, I came up from Florida, oh, okay, yeah. but I know of your generosity on, on giving these guys some Vegemite. Oh, yes. But I wanted to give you a little cultural indoctrination this morning, so oh. we're going to award you the Caviar of the South oh. Boiled Peanuts. Boiled Peanuts. Boiled Peanuts. You'll, uh, you'll have to get this on footage when I try this later on, so... Uh, Boiled peanuts, never heard of it. It's green, oh, green boiled peanuts. Right. And you get a little iced tea, sweet yep. tea. Yep. That's the table wine of the South. So you get your boiled peanuts and your sweet tea and you're in, and you're in just heaven. Well, that's exotic, to be honest. Yeah.